What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit healthlock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. to this week's episode of Her with Amina Brown. And last week we were talking about music. We were talking about Janet Jackson, uh, whom I love very much. I hope that you were inspired to go back and listen to some of her music. Like if you ever had like a work day that you were like struggling to get through some or you had like a monotonous task that you, you know, you're cleaning up or you're working with an Excel sheet and you just need like some motivation, you could turn on Janet's music and, mm. or if you just need a little dance party for yourself, you need to get that, you know, you need to get that dance it out moment that Shonda Rhimes loves to give us. You know what I'm saying? You can do that with Janet's music. So I hope you did that. And that reminded me as I was trying to think about like, why were there certain eras of time that I remember like listening to Janet's music and other eras I didn't? And then I remember that's because 
I went through some seasons where I threw my music away and I wanted to dedicate an episode to this. I want to especially dedicate this episode to people who grew up in a very particular Christian environment. I want to dedicate this to you. For those of you that are listening and are like, what are you talking about? Why would you ever throw your music away? I'm going to bring you a little bit into some conservative Christian culture, some evangelical Christian culture that maybe you didn't want to know about, but I'm just going to take you in there so you know how some things went. So I'm even I'm even going to go back beyond my own history because my family on both sides my mom's side and my dad's side both have roots in the Pentecostal holiness church. And one of the tenets of, I guess I guess I should say it's almost not a tenet of the faith, but it's a tenet of what was supposed to be your social behavior. If you were a person who considered yourself to be a Christian and you also attended a Pentecostal holiness church, because my mom also shared this with me, that this was true for her generation as well, that your your social behavior was supposed to be as non-secular as possible. And secular in these environments meant the world, right? Because one of the tenets of the faith, if you were in more of a Pentecostal holiness kind of Christian environment, is that people who were Christians were supposed to be separated from, air quotes, the world, right? That the world was the den of sin, okay? This is why even when we think about early blues music and uh, different like juke joint scenes that you may have seen in the movies, right? That there were always people who were, you know, supposed to be very church going folks and they would not either want to be in sort of this juke joint setting where there was going to be music about about love, romance, sex, about things that weren't considered to be godly, right? Um, Or some of them did want to go. They just didn't want to be caught or seen there by other church people, right? So this, this narrative has been going on for a very long time in different cultures, but in very specific ways went on in a lot of Black church culture in America, right? And uh, went on in many other uh, Christian cultures as well, because I have white friends who also say they have these experiences growing up too. So by the time I'm growing up, my mom is back in church. The church that I grew up in, I have to, I have to say, I give kudos to the church I grew up in because we were allowed as teenagers to explore the arts, you know? So this is a time when, you know, we were wanting to do rap and hip hop dance and all sorts of, you know, things that were popular in mainstream culture. We wanted to do that in church. And I have to give kudos to our church. They allowed us to do that, that they weren't like, oh no, we don't want to hear that rap in this church. Like they would allow us to do it. You know, as long as we agreed that those, raps, <laughs> those dances would be about God, right? Okay. So I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. And I don't remember anyone telling me to do this, but I just remember having this, and maybe someone did, and I just can't remember it, but I just remember having this instinct to throw my music away. And I've always been a person that loved music 
I have musicians on both sides of my family. My dad himself is a musician. So I've just always loved music. Any of you that have been reading my work, my work, like my books for a while or have been to my shows or, you know, been exposed to my art, uh, know that music is a big part of that for me. Music is very foundational for me. You know, my dad was a big Earth, Wind & Fire fan. Um, any of you that listen to my Behind the Poetry episode on the poem Key of G, you'll hear me talking about there a lot of the early music that was really foundational for me. So my initial growing up was not a growing up where us, uh, air quotes, secular and air quotes, sacred music were separated. My initial upbringing until I was 12 years old everything was kind of meshed together. You know, I would hear Earth, Wind & Fire when I was with my dad. You know, I might hear Tremaine Hawkins with my mom. I might hear a James Cleveland song or uh, an Andre Crouch song at my grandmother's church. You know, there there were all sorts of places where that music was coming to me, right, as a kid. And then when I turned 12, We'd moved to Texas by this time to San Antonio. My mom had had a period of time where she wasn't going to church. And then um, she started going back to church. And I decided, okay, you know, I think I want to become a Christian. Like, seems seems all right from <laughs> what I'm learning in church. And I just had this instinct to start getting rid of my music. And I, at that time, this is 92, 93. So I was listening to, I had bought my first CDs. My first two CDs were... TLC's Ooh on the TLC tip and SWV's debut album. Uh, Those were both my my first CDs that I ever bought and played in my little boom box in my room. And this was in the era of the the magazines, right? So I remember Write On magazine. I'm sure there are a bunch of magazines I'm forgetting, but if you were a person who loved hip hop at this time and loved Black music, loved R&B, there were magazines where you'd like, look through them and they'd interview your artists and have these posters and stuff that you could take out. So my wall was all posters of artists I loved and little cutouts from the magazine. And I just threw everything away in in my attempt to do what I felt I needed to do to sort of be devoted to this faith that I had just discovered or rediscovered because I grew up around church-going folks, but I had never really made that decision for myself, right? So from 1992 to 1996, don't ask me a lot (laughs) about the music that was on the radio because I don't know. Now, like what I was saying in last week's episode, I was still watching music videos sometimes because at this time of my upbringing, you know, there were shows that came on around that time that we were just getting home from school. So we would rush home to try to watch TRL or catch 106 in Park. You know, we would want to watch these TV shows and we would call our friends and stuff. So I remember still watching music videos sometimes, but I wasn't really listening to the radio. And I wasn't really listening to the artists enough, 92 to 96, to buy their music and listen to it, okay? This is when I entered my era of listening to gospel music. And of course, like I told y'all, you know, I grew up in a very church-going family. So my grandmother and my dad both played piano for choirs. Um, 
as I was growing up. So I knew a lot of choir music that way, but I never really listened to it on my own until my mom started going to the church that we went to while I was growing up. And I started singing in the choir. And so I just got all like swallowed up in trying to listen to as much gospel as I could. So I was listening to John P. Key and Hezekiah Walker. Uh, This was the era where Kirk Franklin originally debuted. Um, I think the 92 to 96 was really when Fred Hammond was still a part of the group Commissioned. So I wasn't listening listening to Commissioned then, for those of you who are gospel music heads. I didn't actually get into Fred Hammond until later in the 90s, which we'll talk about. But all of that, like early to mid 90s, that um, Donald Lawrence, any of the choirs, I listened to a lot of gospel choir music. I listened to Yolanda Adams. I think maybe Mary Mary was sort of starting to come around when it when we were getting into sort of the late 90s. But I really just fell in love with choir music. And one of the things that I really loved about it, obviously it was music that just had a message I believed in, but I also loved the bass lines and um, I loved the organ and the drum patterns and I loved the harmonies and I loved the parts in gospel music where the music would cut out. So um, it was cool because even though I wasn't listening to a lot of what would what, what would have been mainstream music or or pop music or hip hop music of the time, I was still listening to black music. So it still had these bluesy um, R&B kind of rootedness. And I, I think gospel's just a fascinating genre of music to me because there are ways that the mainstream music of the day informs gospel. And there were eras of time where it, it was gospel that was informing how the singers and musicians and artists were performing even when they weren't performing in church settings, right? So I, I love this for me, even though I discovered later as I got older and, you know, had more friends talking about what they were doing in 94 and 95, like I missed out on a lot of that. Like I I knew, I'll tell y'all a fun fact. I knew some of the instrumentals to Biggie's music better than I knew Biggie's raps because my friends that I rapped with in church, they would take Biggie's instrumentals <laughs> and we would rap to Biggie's instrumentals at church. So we would rap all our little Jesus raps to Biggie's instrumentals. And the rest of our youth group would be singing some other music to it. And I had no idea what they were singing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did a Jesus rap to Total's Can't You See to the instrumental. I'm pretty sure we did that. And I was like, why are they singing along? What are what are their mouths moving to? I didn't know anything about that song. That's how like sheltered away from that I was. So at some point in 96... I get really interested in rap music because this is when the the cypher was really popular. And I would see kids at school. I have to think about this, y'all. Was I seeing kids at school? I think I saw it at church first because I was in private school for ninth and 10th grade. And my private school was predominantly white. So nobody was really like, you know, knocking beats on the table and stuff like that. That that really was not happening at my private, predominantly white Christian school that I went to ninth and 10th grade. But for 11th and 12th grade, I went to a public school in San Antonio, one of the largest public schools in the city. And so that like changed everything for me culturally and in a lot of ways. So at church, though, was the first time that like after the service, a lot of the guys that were in our youth group would sort of pull together this cypher 
And I would, you know, step into the circle and listen to them rap. And I just found it so fascinating because I had been writing poetry since I was 12, you know, so I could hear that what they were saying, you know, in the cipher sounded kind of like poems. And I had memorized other people's poems. And so I stepped into the cipher and tried to do a part of Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman to the beatbox. And one of my friends, shout out to Aran Lee. I don't know if Aran listens to this podcast, but shout out to him because after the cypher, he was like, yo, like, why don't you, why don't you rap? Like, you were able to do that with Maya Angelou's poem. Like, why don't you try, like, writing a rap? And this is, this, you know, they'll say, what's the story you could tell about yourself that would be really on brand? This story I'm about to tell y'all is very on brand for me because as soon as he said that to me, I immediately went to researching. <laughs> this is this is very on brand for Amina, okay? I immediately went to researching and I just found or bought, I don't know how I did this in my mother's house. I'm trying to think about this. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
Although I will say for my mom, though, my mom, like, like I think if I had tried to buy like a Bone Thugs and Harmony album at the time, like my mom wouldn't have let that fly because she would have looked at that and been like, I'm not going to have the devil in my house. And those of you who know Bone Thugs and Harmony know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you don't know and you Google it, you will look and see what I'm talking about. My mom wouldn't have been for that. But my mom was was more like open-minded about that than some other people's parents. My mom did want me to like listen to good music. So she let me listen to Arrested Development. You know, if she listened to it and it didn't sound like it was somebody like talking real crazy, you know, and she felt like she could, you know, at least like attest that they were not saying terrible things that I need to be listening to. Like she would be with it, you know. So I don't know how I came across these things. No, I do know how. Some of these things that I didn't have at home, some of my friends did. So they would make cassette tapes from the CDs that their parents let them buy if we weren't sure that my mom would let me listen to it. So this is how I got a cassette of some of the songs off of the Fugees, the score. Um, My friend Trey had a cassette of the Roots album, Do You Want More? Because I think that's the album that has silent treatment on it. And he handed me that, my little high school boyfriend. Um, He gave me a cassette tape of The Boss. No, it wasn't The Boss. It was Boss. But her single was called Deeper and Deeper. It was like a cassette that had Boss's... The Boss is Bruce Springsteen, just to be clear. So Boss, (laughs) it was a a cassette that had Deeper and Deeper, like the radio version on one side. And then on the other side, it had like different remixes and, you know, other other songs that we didn't know of bosses yet, right? So I just went and, like, studied as many woman MCs as I could. You know, I listened to as much Lauren Hill as I could. I would fast forward to get to her verses on that little cassette tape and listen to her and rewind it and listen to her and rewind it. Uh, Missy Elliott had also come out around this time. So I was listening to her a lot. Um, I listened to Boss. I listened to Rage. I would fast forward through TLC songs to listen to Left Eye. So just getting a chance to hear like the sounds of their voices and what they were talking about, uh, that sent me back into an era where I basically started listening again to all the music I threw away. (laughs) So... I did that through the late 90s. I graduated from high school in 98 and came to Atlanta to go to college. So this is a really, it was sort of an interesting era for me to return to listening to music that wasn't gospel because it was almost like a perfect era for hip hop and what was going to become uh, the new soul music of the time. So by the time I'm going to college, Lauren Hill has released The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Outcast has released Equimini. And I'm in Texas, right? So it's interesting to think. I feel like a historian talking to y'all now, but I, I like to say these things because things are different, you know, than they were then. And one of the things that I really appreciate now about my time of growing up is how regional music was then. So in, in some ways, I appreciate it. In other ways, it made things hard, right? So for those of us who are hip-hop fans, it was sort of like, you know, because hip-hop was born in New York, it took a long time for hip-hop from the South or hip-hop from the Midwest or hip-hop from the West to get that same respect, right? So 
those parts of it being regional were not so great. But there were great things about some things being regional and that me living in Texas, we were hearing more like Master P, No Limit. You know, we were hearing more like Slim Thug. We we were hearing more of our like regional music than we were New York music at the time. And the music that really infiltrated in Texas, at least the part where I was in San Antonio, that infiltrated us sooner than a lot of New York music was music from the South. Like I remember when Outkast, it was like right at that, like 97 going into 98, that I was hearing people you know, at the lunch table being like, who is this? You know, come listen to this. He said, am I crooked letter? Like everything. Okay. So I just remember like feeling sort of that cultural wave coming. It's really interesting to think about that and that that wave was happening at the time that I was graduating high school, going into college. So of course, coming from Texas and then going, moving to Atlanta for college, then it was like, I was getting exposed to this whole other new music. I mean, Outkast was obviously a huge deal here in Atlanta and um, UGK. And, you know, there was just, man, there was like, it was almost like being in Atlanta. I was getting even more, ironically, I was getting exposed to even more um, Texas music and then other Southern music because all of that was really popular in Atlanta period, right? So it's just a fascinating uh, thing to think about that era of time moving here. Okay, so then I get to college. Y'all are going to (laughs) laugh. I get to college in 98. I am coming from this very, you know, sheltered kind of church girl background. And I was basically sort of given my marching orders by, you know, my family and all of the people that were in my church community that really, you know, just were behind me and supporting me and wanting me to succeed, you know, and sort of the marching orders were like, all right, you need to get to Atlanta. You need to find a church to join and go to and just kind of like bury yourself in that. So Atlanta doesn't turn you out (laughs) was pretty much what they were saying without saying it quite that way. So I, I basically, even though I'm a Janet Jackson fan and she was like, when I when I was 17, I did what people told me. I'm pretty sure I did that long past being 17 years old. Cause I was like, well, that's what they said. That's what I'm going to do. I came to Atlanta, found a little church to join, got to uh, be a part of this campus ministry. So I was doing that. And then I went through another period of what? Throwing my music away. <laughs> and this time, I'm pretty sure I remember some people telling us that that we were getting that that message, you know, sort of like, you know, you you are what you listen to and some of why you're struggling with this or that is because, you know, you don't listen to enough music that's about God, you know. So, child, I threw away my music again, y'all. <laughs> I'm talking about got to college and threw my music away again. And I know I'm not alone in this. If you're listening and you also threw your music away at various times because of your church upbringing, please DM me so I know I'm not by myself. If you give me permission, I will totally share your stories in my Instagram stories because I know that I have other friends who also are like, yeah, no, I don't know the music during that time period because I threw all my CDs away. So I threw my CDs away. Bless my heart. I threw away The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. 
And during this era was when uh, Fred Hammond's Pages of Life double album had just come out. And so that that uh, piece of gospel music is still just a very important piece of music for me and really carried me through a lot of those early years of college. And so I just, you know, Fred Hammond put out quite a few albums after that and I would buy his albums. And it was during this time, during my college time, that I was more exposed to like white church and white church music, what we would consider to be like your CCM or a lot of what worship music sounds like, right, is is very different from like the gospel worship music that I grew up with growing up. So as I got exposed to that CCM music between college and my early um, early 20s after graduating, you know, I was listening to more of that. So there's an era between like, 99 and 2005, don't ask me much of anything about what was on the radio during that time because I just don't know. You know, I was in my friends' cars. They were listening to different CCM artists of that time. We were listening to Jars of Clay and we were listening to Watermark at that time. You were really an old school a CCM listener, if you know who I'm talking about when I said that. We were listening to Wow, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. <laughs> we were just listening to those CDs, so we weren't listening to the radio. And by then, it depended on where I was living if I had a TV, so I also wasn't watching music videos. So there's a whole era of time right there that I was just listening to worship music. And those of you that have been listening to the podcast know that right out of college was really when my uh, poetry career, air quotes, you know, started. And that started in a lot of white church environments. So I also got exposed to a lot of those CCM artists from that day and kind of started listening to them. And, you know, initially, I think it was cool to me at that time to hear this music that to me sounded like this, you know, love letter to God, I, that that found, um, that that seems like very intriguing to me at the time, you know, so I got really involved in that. Okay. Then somewhere around 2005, some things started to go awry at the church I was going to. So it was sort of like, I think the other thing that happened between 99 and 05 is that I was back kind of in a church bubble too. I was working in church when I graduated as far as traveling with Christian organizations, going to different church environments. I was very heavily involved in my local church with the college ministry there. So I really, outside of church activities, I really didn't have a life, you know, like I wasn't going on dates. I wasn't going to concerts. I wasn't going to you know, comedy shows or art galleries. It was like church stuff, people's houses that I went to church with. If I went to the movies, I was going there with people I went to church with. And then it was like, all of a sudden, it got to be 2005 and things at the church were getting wildly unhealthy and people were leaving the church and we were all left to decide, were we gonna stay? What do we think of the people who leave the church? Like it was all this turmoil. And it was then that I think I was really having more of a creative crisis where I was like, and and I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I'll say it here in brief again, for those of you that may just be, you know, getting to this episode and you're like, I just got here. So I'm going to tell you the story. But 
I think it was also around this time that I, you know, I had been performing poetry, but I wanted to have time to go back out to the open mic because the open mic was not necessarily where my career started in the sense of where I started to get paid. But the open mic was where I started to learn how to how to write well and how to find my voice, how to perform well. So anything I took into these sort of career and professional settings that were paying me, I learned that from the roots of these environments that I had been in. And they were truthfully, most of them, very specifically Black poetry environments, right? And so I think I started to feel kind of untethered from that, you know, And I returned back to the open mic setting and I had this poet, shout out to Megan Volpert, um, who said to me, hey, like, I really like your work, but I just feel like I never get to know you. I never I never see you, you know, in your work. And it was really odd to me um, to hear her say that because it kind of shook me. A little bit. And she moved, she moved on. We talked about something else, but I remember driving home after she said that and just really like thinking about what is it about my work that she can't see me? And the truth is the idea in a lot of CCM and worship music um, is this idea that we, we are not supposed to be seen as humans. The idea is that God is supposed to shine So God is all of the something and as humans that we're nothing. That's a lot of the the basics, you know, of um, a lot of worship music then and a lot of worship music that's out now. So as a poet that was doing poetry in these environments, I had started to take on that type of writing and that type of mentality in my poetry. And when she said that to me, it really shook me because I did think about sort of the roots I was coming from. And even in a lot of gospel music, especially the gospel music I grew up on, you know, I don't listen to current gospel music, so I cannot speak to that, unfortunately. But um, the gospel music that was formative to me, it had this way of acknowledging you as a human, acknowledging that you are a person who struggles, acknowledging sometimes that you are a person who um, who is oppressed, you know, who is dealing with things and systems beyond, you know, your own control and that there is a God who liberates, right? And so I think I started to think about that. You know, I started to question like, why am I feeling like I need to disappear from my work? And what God would actually want that of me um, in general, but also want that of me as a Black woman? Why would God want me to disappear? Why does God need me to disappear for God to shine? Like God's going to shine anyway. And isn't God shining through all of this creation? Like if we believe that God is the one making all of us, isn't God shining through, you know, each of our, you know, skin tones and hair textures and all the things, you know? So I was contemplating a lot during this time. And so I ended up returning (laughs) not only to some of the music I threw away, but in a way returning to some of the the roots of music that I loved. So I remember I went back and started listening to these Jackson 5 records. Like I, I would get a lot of my music from Walmart because there was some music that I wanted to listen to that was mainstream music, but I, I didn't want to listen to like all the cursing and everything. <laughs> Sometimes I still don't, y'all, to be honest. Sometimes I do though, and I'm not going to lie about that. Um, But back then, really. So I was buying a lot of music from Walmart. And so I'd go into Walmart to get 
whatever rapper was out. You know, I want to get their music so I can listen to it, but I don't want to hear the cuss words, right? And then Walmart would sometimes have like on sale these compilation CDs and stuff. And so that's really how I went back to listen to a lot of older music, even music that um, was popular before I was born. So that was how I started digging back into these old Jackson 5 records. And I remember I was just listening. I don't remember what record it was, but I was listening to this Jackson 5 CD. And before I realized it, I had just been listening to that three weeks straight, just over and over and over, just the rhythms, the background vocals and uh, the ad libs. Oh man, like the way they were produced, like just, just fascinated. And then I would just go down a rabbit hole. Like I went through the Jackson 5 for a while. And then after I got through all their records, went through, went back through Michael Jackson's early records. Like some of these songs I knew, you know, like a new thriller and I knew, you know, working day and night, like I knew some of the hits, but I had never actually listened to the albums uh, through and through. So I went back and listened to those early, like Off the Wall and, and all of Thriller, the album. And then that sent me to wanting to listen to Bill Withers once I started looking more into like some Motown things. And then I got down a Shaka Khan rabbit hole and then wanted to go back through Stevie Wonder's albums. And so I think in a certain way, that returned to me this uh, rootedness in Black music, number one. But I think number two, it also returned to me this idea that um, music is not sacred or secular. You know, like it was around this time in my life that I decided I don't want to categorize music like that anymore. And that there are songs that other people would deem to be secular that are very sacred to me. Um, and truthfully, I would say this is true of me today. There are many songs that people today would call sacred, especially people who are in the environments I used to be in that are still in uh, very evangelical environments or very white evangelical spaces. There are songs that they would consider to be very, very sacred that are secular to me. <laughs> you know, so for me, I feel like what I discovered there in that, you know, early, not even early 20s, probably mid 20s to into my early 30s, what I discovered about music that's so powerful is that I think music really exists to help us express all of life, to help us express our humanity and the holy moments as well, you know, and that our humanity will experience holy moments, you know, um, that music is there to talk about leaves on the trees. It's there to talk about uh, how much your heart is breaking when you have a breakup. It's there to talk about what it feels like to fall in love, what it feels like to have good sex. You know, like music is there for all of these things. And music is also there to sing about, you know, your your thoughts and feelings or prayers to God. Like music is there for for all of that. And I found that to be uh, something so powerful, you know. Um, I actually was on a tour once and Matt and I, um, when I say Matt, I'm talking about my husband and also the producer of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, we have been talking about for a while, just as a podcast team, Matt, Lee and I, um, Lee, who's my uh, podcast production assistant, and assistant and friend, just everything. Anyways, we've been talking about uh, me doing some episodes here where we tell some road stories and I, I am going to do that. So I'll come back and share some of those with you. But I thought about one in particular as it relates to this episode. 
and uh, Matt and I were on a tour. <laughs> I'm 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 ciphering through the details of the tour so that I cannot tell you enough details that you would know who I'm talking about. But anyways, we were on a tour and uh, there were multiple acts, multiple bands and and such, and us. And we had this, you know, which which kind of happens when you're on tour. You you sort of have these periods of time during the day because all the shows are at night, where you know you kind of end up hanging out whether you want it to or not, you know, because you're all on a bus. You kind of end up hanging out with the the production crew, uh, the lighting folks, or the other bands you may be on tour with. And we were on tour with, a, at that time, what was a really well-known Christian band. And we were talking about music and, and really kind of talking about the state of what was considered to be Christian music at that time and how, you know, a lot of people loved the message in that music. But musically, a lot of that music was very, like, uninteresting. You know, it didn't jam. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't have good bass lines. It didn't have musicality to it that you also felt like, wow, like, impressed by or that you felt impacted by even, you know? And so we were talking about that with this very, very well-known Christian band that I won't say the name of. And um, although even if I said the name, some of you that are listening are like, I don't know those people. But anyways, <laughs> and the leader of this very well-known Christian band, he said, you know what? You know, my my wife and I, you know, we have however many kids they had. And he was like, you know, um, and we only let our kids listen to Christian radio because we never want our kids to hear all the bad stuff that's in, you know, secular music. And so I said, I said, you know, I don't have any kids. And I was like, but I kind of feel like if I had kids, I don't know that I would want them to just listen to Christian radio because like, how are they going to know what a really good bass line sounds like? How are they going to know what an amazing horn section could sound like? How are they going to know about harmonies and really good background vocalists or a very well-written song, you know? So I hope that if I have kids, they get to listen to Stevie Wonder or the Jackson 5 or uh, some of those old Motown records. You know, I hope they get to hear some Run DMC and, you know, some other stuff so that they know what good music sounds like. Because that's the one thing I feel like Christian radio is missing is actually good music, you know? And y'all, some of y'all are picking up on the fact that maybe I should have picked up on the fact that I was totally offending this man because this is clearly how he makes his money. <laughs> He's making the music that I was basically saying is not good music. But I really didn't pick up on it because I just thought, like, shouldn't he know that? Like, shouldn't he know? Like, shouldn't he know that? But he didn't. And he huffed and puffed and he was very offended. But I never saw him again. And I really couldn't tell you his government name to this day, to be honest. But I still stand by what I said. You know, even though my my mom, you know, I don't know, I have to ask her because I know she listens to the podcast sometimes, like how she feels about, you know, how her own spiritual journey like impacted me as her kid, because I experienced sort of both eras of her. You know, I experienced my mom, you know, before she was going back to church and I experienced her afterwards. But what I love about that is that I got to experience a, a wide variety of music. And that's how I like to listen to music to this day. I'm not, I will be honest with y'all, I'm not a super eclectic music listener. I like what I like, you know? Um, inside the genres I like, I can get interested in being eclectic, but I like what I like. I like the type of hip hop where the MCs are lyricists, where they are poets, where they are good writers. That's the type of hip hop I like. I like soul music. A lot of the hip hop I like would also technically fall 
in the category of being soul music on a level. I still love gospel music. I still love Tremaine Hawkins and uh, some of those old formative songs for me. Um, I still love a good classic, you know, Kirk Franklin song. Um, And there's some new music that I love, you know, like I totally fell in love with Cardi B and I did not think that I would you know, love her music like I do. Like, I love Cardi B. I love seeing Kendrick Lamar come onto the scene as like a new MC. Um, I just, I find different artists that I fall in love with all the time, but I love that there's a lot of music out there that we are not just, you know, only into this one genre. Like, I love that there's a lot of music to hear. I love that music has the power to express a lot of things to us. And I love that I think music is sacred, um, but I don't necessarily categorize it as secular. I think music is sacred. I think it's human. I think it's beautiful. And I don't really want to go a day without listening to music. I was dating a guy once who, one of my questions I would ask guys when I was dating them is, You know, if they could pick a song that they would want to wake up to every day or if they pick a song that was like a motivator to them, what would they pick? And I dated this guy once. He literally got quiet and he was like, man, I don't know. I don't really listen to music very much. And I was like, wow, this date's over. (laughs) This date is over. I literally married a musician. What are we talking about? That is one of the things that bonded my husband and I is Our love for music is one of the things that bonds us to this day. All of the DJs we've had opportunity to see together, all of the live music acts we've had the chance to see. So that's my story, y'all. The music I threw away and found again. I would love to get DMs from you if you too threw away your music. And another thing that I love about right now, about all the access we have to music, is there's so much music that you can find again. There's so much music that maybe you were never even exposed to that you can find. So... I hope you do that. Talk soon, y'all. Her with Amina Brown is produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions as a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.